Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. Glad to have you back. How you doing? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a week. It's been good. How you doing? All these questions. Hey, this is episode 27. This is a great episode, if I do say so myself, because we have Arlie uh, Crothers, who is the Applied Communications faculty member at KPU. We also have Andrea Neosi, who is a marketing faculty at KPU. And we have Melissa Ashman, who is also an Applied Communications faculty member at KPU. That's right, all three are from KPU. It's a reunion tour. And they brought it. This uh, episode is fantastic. You're going to find tons of value in it, uh, if not a lot of insight. And uh, especially when it's centering around our own biases uh, and the not so recent or recent events that have happened down south of us and even in some parts of Canada. But uh, I'll leave it at that. And hey, this is a great opportunity to sit down and and have a conversation with uh, three rock stars in the open educational world at Kwantlen Polytechnic University here in sunny Surrey, Cloverdale, Langley area of British Columbia, Canada. Anyway, hope you enjoy this episode. It was a ton of fun to do with these uh, fine people and uh, we'll see you on the other side. One. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. Nailed it that time. This is episode 27. And uh, we have three very special guests with us today. We have uh, Andrea, Arlie, and Melissa. I'm going to start calling you the KPU magic team. No, that's dumb. I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> you guys are stellar people from KPU. Really? I mean, every time I look on Twitter, some of one of you or some of you or all of you are tweeting something. So it's awesome. It's, it's a privilege to follow you. Honestly, it is. How are we doing? It's oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging in doing there. Great. Yeah. You, you've all got that good. COVID look at you. Yeah, I'm doing great. Everything's good. Right? Read Everything's between good. the lines. Read How between long the do you lines. have? <laughs> That's like, yeah. Well, we booked, we booked a certain amount of time, but uh, we could go over if you need to. I'm not, a psych, I'm not a psychologist or a registered therapist, but, and I don't even play one on the internet, but you know, mm-hmm. lots to be done through talking. So really, okay? We're doing okay? Yeah, good. Okay. okay. All right. Well, let, let's get caught up because all of you have been on the show before, although it was, you know, one person at a time, never a, a, a situation like this. So let, let's, let's get caught up. Um, Arlie, what, what are you doing? What's happening other than COVID, right? We all know that that's happening, but what's going yeah. on? Um, well, I am uh, teaching uh, right now and doing the uh, Open Education Fellowship uh, as well, which has been uh, kind of a fun chance to work with the teaching and learning team. but. Mostly I'm just trying to get stuff done with a two-year-old draped across my shoulder and a cat on my lap and, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, trying to, uh, trying to handle the, uh, the pandemic as, as best I can. Right. Right. Okay. Melissa? Yeah, so I'm not teaching this semester. It's my non-teaching semester. So I'm prepping for the fall and doing professional development and committee work and whatnot. Um, 
basically five minutes at a time <laughs> because I'm sharing an office <laughs> and homeschooling a grade three student. So okay. productivity is uh, in fits and starts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. My heart goes out to you. Andrea, how are we doing? Uh, yeah. So I am teaching. I teach summer and fall terms at Kwantlen and I have three different courses. So I, um, designed three preps for online for the summer and, uh, and they're going really well. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm enjoying teaching online and finding new ways to sort of meet the needs of students and design for flexibility and more student agency. Um, I have also, I think since we last talked, I spoke, I had uh, received a grant from BC campus for my open textbook. So um, in a mad panic to get, the meat and potatoes of it done for summer. I spent about seven weeks pulling as much of it together as I could. So my students this summer actually using it in sort of a soft launch format. It's not been reviewed or edited and the formatting's a nightmare in press books at times, but, but it's, it's being used, which is really exciting. Um, and uh, so that's going to be great just to get some feedback from students on that. And I'm also participating in um, KPU's Sustainable Development Goals um, Open Pedagogy Fellowship Program this summer. So we're partnered up with two U.S. Uh, institutions, uh, Montgomery College and Maricopa. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really neat program. So we have these very multidisciplinary teams and we have to design three open pedagogy renewable assignments together that um, combine some of the SDGs in them and then launch them uh, after the summer in over two semesters. So I'm partnered up with somebody from art and math and I'm marketing. <laughs> so it is, yeah, I, I kind of feel like the, I'm the glue between art and math. And no uh, yeah, it's really, it's, you know, it's really neat to play in this very creative space and to collaborate with other educators, um, you know, outside of kind of my KPU world. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot going on, but it's, it's fun and it's challenging and I'm enjoying it so far quite a bit. Okay. Okay. So does the art person ever want to throw pencils and paint at the math person and the other math person just want to calculate <laughs> the way around everything? Not at all. Actually, no? it's really just, I have to say, I mean, I don't know what magic they performed in putting us together, but it really is a great fit, the three of us together. We were on the phone for about an hour and a half a couple of weeks ago, and we just realized we had so many different avenues that we could go down and combine looking at like visual and data literacy, which is something that's important to all of us. So we found these really neat intersections and... Um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's from, maybe out of all the boredom and the monotony that we've been faced with over the past few months and just sort of needing to allow our brain to kind of play in a different realm, that's mm -hmm. maybe also helped. That sounds very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Arlie, tell us about your Open Ed Fellowship. How's that going? What are you doing with that? Well, it's been great. So it's funny because um, I sort of intended, you know, you when when it started, I had this this idea of, of kind of how some of the things I wanted to look into and, and how it, it would go. And um, then when COVID hit, I ended up sort of working with the teaching and learning um, team on things that were kind of related to open, but, you know, 
doing consultations with um, people and, uh, you know, working on developing some resources for the pivot to online. So that, especially in the early days, that was really just having this sort of being able to work with other educators and actually produce a small thing that could be helpful um, was just, yeah, for me, really, really important in, in the, uh, the early days feeling like, okay, I'm maybe not going to get anything done, but I can kind of work with these people and collaborate and, and help in this, this sort of, uh, um, small way. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been not quite the fellowship I was expecting, but I think I've learned a lot just from the, talking to so many educators about, um, you know, ways that open can, uh, um, uh, can work to, uh, to tackle some structural uh, inequalities, especially in, um, in this time. So yeah, it's been a great, a great learning experience. Mm, good. So have, have you, are you finding that faculty are more, are more pardon the pun open to open ed resources now that we're in this interesting situation? Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. One is that I think instructors are being forced to look at their um the way that they were doing things right they have to go online and so they're they're looking for ways that they can uh, um you know solve some problems and often open pedagogy and open educational resources solve those problems right if you can't get your textbook an open textbook solves that problem um if you're having trouble with you've always traditionally done a kind of a um take home or a test that is timed and that, that is uh you know under, under pressure, some of those open pedagogy assignments can provide an alternative that, you, you know, you don't have the technological problem. So um, I think some people are getting into it kind of accidentally where they're trying to solve problems. And um, so one of the things I've been trying to do is sort of uh, angle it so that if you're trying to solve a problem, um, maybe open can, can provide a solution for you as a way to, so that it doesn't seem like it's one more thing you have to do. Um, it's something that can actually save you time and, um, you know, to solve, make your classroom more rewarding and interesting and, um, uh, beneficial to the students. Interesting. So are you finding that the panic level is starting to s go down now in, in regards to, you know, how faculty are trying to adapt and, and the speed of which they had to adapt? Yeah. Well, cause I think that obviously the summer semester is underway. So, um, and I also think that, um, faculty now are sort of reaching out to people within their, their disciplines and stuff. So, I mean, from, uh, um, my perspective, I think people are looking towards fall and now hopefully they've got a bit more breathing room and they can think about, okay, what can I do, um, to make this a, a good semester rather than, you know, in March and April, it was just like, I got to get through the semester. I got to, you know, yeah. uh, get, get through the uh, spring semester, that sort of, um, that sort of panic. So hopefully people are, um, just using the moment to, to kind of, uh, be, um, more thoughtful about some of the, the stuff that's going on in their class. And I've seen some pretty cool, um, really creative ways that instructors are tackling some of the, the challenges. Like what? Um, well, just talking about, you know, instructors who are trying to figure out how to do labs or how to do uh, art, you know, classes, trying to figure out how do you have students create art when you have people have wildly different, um, you know, access to resources and, um, and stuff. So yeah, it's cool seeing some of the, uh, you know, I know like in trades and, uh, uh, and so at least some of this is the stuff that the, just the creative ways that people are trying to, uh, uh, to really think about how can I approach this class in a way that is not going to be going to be totally different from what it was face to face, but will hopefully be still really rich learning experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll, we'll come back to that. That's, that's good. Melissa. So you're planning. Yes, I'm planning for the fall. I'm also, uh, 
my I was I am supposed to be the research fellow in open education for um, KPU this year, but uh, COVID has sort of pushed those extended the timeline for that. So at the time of the the pivot, um, I had just submitted my um, research ethics application and was waiting for feedback and so uh, I then received the feedback so I've been revising my application and extending the timeline into 2021 and prepping and prepping for the fall and trying to wrap my brain around um, how to with with Arlie how to deliver a pathway course um, a course that typically requires a lot of hands-on face-to-face time how can we deliver that in an effective way in an online environment especially with access when students have issues with access to technology and being able to use the technology and um, so trying to figure out how we can incorporate a little bit of learning to learn online into into that course as well are you finding that there's a lot of uh, accessibility challenges for your students, especially when it comes to technology? So I'm not teaching this semester. I have found in the past that it's been widely variable from students who only have access when they're on campus. So access to Wi-Fi and a device when they're on campus to students, you know, they have multiple devices that they bring to class. They have their laptop, their iPad, their their phone, um, and their iWatch or their Apple Watch. So um, it's there's huge variability. I don't know if Arlie and Andrea, what are you experiencing this semester in terms of access? So I I've um, surveyed my students about their access needs before the semester started, and my plan I I created a version of the class where you can do it with pen and paper because um, I think that there's uh, I have students with um, uh, spotty access to internet, um, students who are sharing, like who are living with 12 people. And so all those people are trying to use the internet. Yeah, I mean, especially I have a lot of international students who are um, you know, living in some pretty close quarters. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, trying to be, uh, do things off their phone, not having access to laptops and stuff. So, you know, when I was thinking about these courses, especially Melissa and I teach that uh, pathway course, um, which is often has students with a lot of a uh, lot of barriers, you know, trying to design for the most marginalized students first. So that, you know, thinking about from the start, how could you do this if you had spotty access to internet, you're doing it on your phone, um, you know, and you were also probably maybe doing it in a different country um, and you were doing it um, in that pathway class. I think 85 percent of students are essential workers. So they are working at, and uh, one of the things they're saying is that they're having a really hard time getting time off work. Uh, in the past, you could just say, okay, I need Thursday off or whatever, because I want to, I have a class, but they're being told, no, you're an essential worker. You, you can't get, um, get time off. So both students having time barriers and then technology barriers uh, and then use of technology barriers. So, um, you know, knowing how to post to a forum on Moodle or how to submit an assignment and stuff. Uh, um, yeah, so I think, and I, I think that the semester, like the first couple of weeks were especially were rocky, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I tried to think about that first while I was, before I started planning, because, um, yeah, I, I, uh, um, it, yeah, there's, there's definitely some significant wow. barriers. Andrew, what are you facing? 
Yeah, you know, it's, of course, there's a range of um, experiences that students have in the classroom this summer or in our online classroom. But I've, I've done a few things to sort of mitigate um, some of the, the challenges, concerns and really design for that. So before the summer term started, I, I hosted two weeks of meet and greets online. So students could um, meet me on our LMS and I took them through a tour of the course and show them everything and answer any questions. So this was really just to kind of help address any concerns up front that they might be having. Um, naturally, students have questions around quality education, um, whether or not this is going to fit with their lifestyle, uh, whether the workload will be reasonable and fit within their expectations. So I was able to address all of that up front so that students could then feel really well informed especially before the deadline of having to um, pay and not get a refund. So um, they could really sort of test this out. So I, um, I set an early deadline to complete my course designs for two weeks before the term started to be able to do that. And then of course, the first week of classes did the same thing. So students could really look at this. But I also surveyed um, all my students beforehand as well, both from an access to technology perspective, but also an ungrading perspective, because I really felt that this was the time for me to really embark on a more aggressive approach to ungrading and working, um, helping students support them with their grading goals, as opposed to expecting them to live up to my expectations as an educator. And so this insight helped me design, go back and make some tweaks and changes and redesign areas based on the feedback in their survey. Even just asking questions like if you've taken an online course before, what worked, what didn't. Um, I'm new at this. So what, what advice do you have for me? And they did not hold back on giving me advice. It was fantastic to have all of these students provide all these tips that really gave me insight into their learning preferences. And for the most part, these are really easy changes and, and just added components of flexibility as educators that we can design into our courses. It, it's just no trouble at all, really. There's, I kind of felt like there's no excuse to not do this because it means I'm going to reach more and more of them. So I think for that reason, it, so far, I mean, things have been quite smooth. Here we are in week five. And, um, you know, I have a first year course, a second year course and a fourth year course. Um, and they're vast. They're so different. The three courses are, you know, there's not really any crossover. Um, two of them are a bit more self-paced. The fourth year course being a capstone course. Um, this is a very different kind of course with students. Um, they're just about to graduate. So really make sure that their last touch point with our program being a really positive one and one that they can get the most out of it. That's been my goal with that course. So um, the work we're doing there is really not about pleasing Andrea or <laughs> meeting my expectations at all. It's just really a matter of supporting them and what they can be proud of, what they can um really create from this course to showcase their skills, their talent, their learning journey. So, um, yeah, so it's been, I, I sort of created a bit of a system here so I could capture information, work with the students, um, and then design around their preferences and their limitations or restrictions as well. 
Yeah. So how much, how much more work is that taking you as opposed to if you were, if you were designing a, a, a course without any of this in mind, I'm, I'm curious to know. Yeah. So the upfront work was bananas. <laughs> I, like it was <laughs> absolutely like, I, like two months, seven days a week, eyes twitching, uh, you know, you get that little and, twick in your eye, like, uh, doing yeah. one of those. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the, the eye migraines, um, oh. you know, laying in bed at night. Uh, you know, I, I remember saying to a colleague, I don't even have a list. I normally have a lot of to-do lists. I can't even make a list. Cause I feel like I'm taking a plastic spoon to an iceberg and it is just, there's no point. I just had so much to do in, in, just getting the book done, the three courses designed, and then figuring out how I'm going to layer technology and work all these components in. So it took a long time, but um, I now, the, the courses are going, now I just feel like my role now is not of doing any design, instructional design, it's just supporting them. And it's just, it's just yeah. wonderful because now I normally in a face-to-face environment, I'm, you know, I don't release an entire course all at once, but my courses are, are two of the courses are very self-paced. So I was just telling Melissa and Arlie before we started recording, I, I mean, we have a 13 week term in the summer, just as we do in the fall and spring. I have a student, one of my courses who will finish the course this week. What? In week five. And she has powered through everything. She's contacted me a couple times. We've chatted. I've given her a little bit of help here and there, but this just worked with her schedule. She has to go back to work full-time in July and August. And it's amazing that I, I could help a student actually meet her educational goals for this term. And she can fulfill all the learning outcomes, get everything out of it. Um, I'm so excited to get feedback from her and, um, you know, learn from her experience, but I could never do this in a face-to-face environment. Everyone sort of has to follow my set schedule. So yeah, it's, it really is, um, you know, it's, it's a very neat learning experience I find for myself, but certainly back to your question, the upfront work, huge, but there's, you know, it really pays off when you see students are able to, um, do, you know, still be able to get everything they need out of the course when they need it. A lot of my courses are being, or sorry, students are being called back to work right now. So they have contacted me and said how grateful they are that I have a weekly recording on Big Blue Button. They come home from work in, in the evening, they watch it or they watch it the next day. And they just feel like connected and caught up, even though they're not live with me every sure. week. And um, they feel like, you know, they, they could, they could be right. The experience mm-hmm. still feels like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, that's cool because I've had, I teach three night schools this term, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, they're all kind of related. They're, they're different courses, but they're all kind of related. They're in the um, business management. And anyway, um, the students are saying that they, they, they like the, they like the format because it cuts down on travel time that they would have to take from work to school or from home to school yeah. and back and forth. And, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of like the commute too. It's like a 30 <laughs> second commute for me. And although that, that has exactly. some bleed over into life, right? Yeah. So for it, sure. it, it, it can creep, but saving a lot of gas money. Yeah. And I, I do find I've been able to make myself much more available yeah. to do one-on-ones with them that I normally can't because I'm 
commuting, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and running around doing other things as well, typically with the kids and family. But now, um, you know, if they send me an email and need help, I'm like, sure, you want to, you want to hop online in half an hour and we'll go through this together. And then I can do that and just, you know, I've got, you know, a nice, you know, one note whiteboard system set up and I can just walk them through things and they're like, perfect, got what I need. And then they're off. So. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So what, oh, go ahead, Arlie. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that I've definitely found, like I've taught online before and I have found that, you know, I, because I I teach spring and then, and then summer, I had, I've been trying to stay a couple weeks ahead of, of students, but um, I have definitely found that um, these online courses have been more intensive to run because the students have not chosen to be online. And so, for example, when I teach, um, usually I, it's completely asynchronous because the students that I'm teaching are, you know, their parents, they're uh, we're working full time. They like that a- asynchronous element. But um, especially with the, the pathway course, you know, we had our first meeting and both stu- both groups were like, no, we want to we want a weekly meeting. You know, we want that um, kind of face to face. Thanks. So now they can do it both ways. They can either do the asynchronous version or log on and I will walk them through. But, um, you know, I'm conferencing three times a semester with the students. So, you know, meeting with them uh, um, for 10 minutes uh, at a time. Um, you know, I, I'm finding it a lot more uh, in, in a good way because I try to put all of my time and planning into really thinking about the, the community and the kind of connection um, and stuff with, within the course. But, um, yeah, I think that online courses can, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, a, a lot, I found that it's, it's a lot of work, especially with, um, you know, just making sure that I'm, as Andrew said, really connected and, uh, um, and available. So, I mean, the benefit of me not having the whole class planned out is that now I can react to student, um, uh, student feedback and kind of plan or like, for example, when the protest hit, I was able to say, okay, well, I'm going to scrap what I was planning on doing. Let's focus on, um, on that. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it would have been very nice if I'd had, if I'd had the full, the full 13 weeks. Cause yeah, it's definitely, definitely a lot of, uh, um, a, a lot of planning, but my hope is, is that once it's all done, it's something that I can especially offer to other instructors. Cause you know, sometimes we hire adjuncts with two weeks notice or whatever. Um, so that other people don't have to do, this work. Like I think collaborating with, um, uh, with, uh, with, uh, others in, uh, in my department and stuff. Um, I think that is going to be, cause I think that, you know, obviously I'm more, has a regular position. I can do this sort of stuff. Um, not everybody, uh, not everybody can. So trying to think about how I can sort of share what I'm doing. Wow. That's massive. Melissa, I saw you nodding your head all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm, I have the the lecture, I have the privilege of having this semester to plan, to have an extended period of time to plan for being online. Um, and it's really forcing me to think like, why was I doing this thing before? Like, why was I doing this thing? Like, what, why, why, why did I do that? And it's really forcing me to think more closely about how and why I am doing things and making sure that what you know, everything's aligned, that the learning outcomes are aligned with what we're doing in class are aligned with the assessments um, and things that I can take away. And when we eventually, if we eventually go back to teaching face-to-face, things that I can, you know, 
take from what I've learned through uh, putting everything online? What can I take back to the classroom? So do you guys think we're going to go back face to face or do you think we'll be blended? And how are you getting ready for that? I'm in denial. I don't know. I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> That's too far down the road. I'm just doing five minutes yeah. at a time here, Carson. Right? Yeah, I'm, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Conference online for the fall, for sure. Um, so, and I don't actually teach in the spring term. So the soonest I would be back in the classroom is May, 2021. Oh, wow. Um, that would be, yeah. So for me, it's, it's going to be a long haul. Um, okay. I, you know, i I put so much into the, this new form of design and I, I really look forward to getting students um, feedback and l- looking at their experiences and making it even better. I hope that there's going to be an opportunity to do, to offer both. Um, you know, I had a hard time imagining some of my courses online, to be honest, I've, I never sort of jumped at the opportunity, but now I can see this through the students perspective from their perspective and I can see that the flexibility and providing really meaningful choices for them to do their work has really helped me um, focus a lot more on like things like principles of UDL and open pedagogy and um, using more open resources like it it really has shown that you know it's such a vastly different type of pedagogy but I think that there are some really amazing options here that I think you know, as Arlevin said, you know, deal with um, issues around inequalities. And so I quite like it. I I mean, I hope that I can actually continue doing this a little bit more because it's been such a meaningful experience for me as an educator to challenge myself and do something different, but then to also see that students are responding quite favorably to these different things that I'm offering them. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm curious to know where were you when COVID hit? It's almost like you know where were you when JFK got shot, or or where were you in the shape when the space shuttle disaster happened, or where were you in September 11th? Right? Um, what what was what was going on in your life at that moment that it kind of broke out into Canada and and it's like okay we're starting to shut stuff down. Like where were you and what was going through your mind? So I actually it kind of came out because sort of a week early where. I um, did a session on open um, education at Columbia College and I came out of that session and there was a message on my phone from a a good friend of mine and she had gone to a mining conference in Toronto, came back and got violently ill. Like she was so, so sick. And I had seen her uh, at the grocery store where she was sort of having a, you know, I kind of helped her with her groceries and I opened it up to saying that a text, um, that there had been an outbreak of COVID at that mining conference. Oh, right. And so I was like, okay, shoot, we're going to, we're going to, like, I was, you know, interacted with her. Um, let's shut everything down. So I kind of came home and was like, nope, we're going to sort of batten down the, the hatches. So my class was online a, a week um, earlier than, um, than I had planned. So, you know, I didn't really have that moment of like, okay, I got to go to my office and get stuff. Like there are still some cookies in the drawer <laughs> that I'm like, oh, I should probably tell, tell, tell facilities yeah. or some, somebody about that. Um, because yeah, I, I sort of, uh, like had this moment of looking at that text and being like, well, I guess, uh, I guess things are going to change. Yeah. Wow. Oh, mercy. You've got cookies in your desk drawer, Arlie. 
I've got granola bars and fruit snacks and other things that I'm a little concerned about if the package were to get punctured. Yeah, <laughs> Melissa and I had a tea and a tea station and a snack station in our yeah. office. We share an yeah. office, so um, yeah, I was thinking about. Oh, I hope we. I hope we don't come back to uh, to a rodent situation. Yeah. All the plants are dead, but the the, the mice are alive. Having, Having a, a party. party. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. The animals are taking over. Andrea, where were you when all this shook down? So I was in Austria. <laughs> what? Yeah. I I was in the yeah, I was in the epicenter, the European epicenter of the pandemic. So um it was a really strange yeah, very bit of a difficult time. So I was I teach at our uh, partner institute in Vienna. So I teach at the University of Applied Sciences in Vienna every year. Um, I teach a condensed e-marketing course there for two weeks. So I had left at the end of February and um, I was into my second week of teaching um, on the Tuesday and I went taught in the morning, uh, went and grabbed some lunch, came home and I had, you know, been pretty much socially distancing myself the whole time I was there, um, just being pretty low key, not, not going out too much. I was doing a lot of work from my apartment there um, on my open textbook. And anyways, I got home and I checked my email and they said the university has been closed. Um, we had COVID cases at the university. And so they just shut, shut it down for the rest of the week. And my course still had three more days. And so my students were in a panic and I was, you know, of course I'm like, don't worry, everyone, everyone's getting an A. Like I, but they were so determined to get the work done and, and they really wanted to do it. So it was like, it was very strange for me because I'm like, I, you know, this doesn't matter. Um, all my students are international there. So they all come from somewhere else. I don't have Austrian students. A lot of them were from Spain, for example, and Spain was just entering lockdown. So they couldn't get back to Spain. And I had a lot of Canadians, um, you know, I'd students from Russia, all over Europe and some from South America. So I was more worried about like, you guys take care of yourselves, like get yourself sorted. But they were determined to finish the course. So I was, um, and I didn't even have like their email addresses. It was, I didn't have like a sophisticated system like I do at Kotlin where I can reach them very easily. So um, in any event, we just did, you know, did what we had to the last few days. And I, um, my family was actually booked to come join me in Europe. We were meeting up in Amsterdam for a two week vacation over spring break in Europe. So we canceled them and changed my flights. And even at that point, people were still like, Oh my gosh, you're so paranoid. This is ridiculous. Like our travel agent. No way, was like, really? Yeah. Our travel agent was even kind of like, Oh, this is like so over the top. Um, okay. You know, so she, it, it was really funny. People's reactions were like, they were kind of um, shocked that we were canceling and, um, and I was coming home and, uh, but then, you know, Austria shut down the whole country by the following Monday. And we had been told it, it's going to shut down by Monday. So, um, you know, it's good to get out. And they started to, sh they shut the border with Germany on the Saturday, I believe. So I was, I kind of felt like I was about 12 hours ahead of everything shutting down. So it kind of was like on my heels a little bit. And of course I had to fly to Amsterdam, stay a night. And I was at the bar at the Sheridan hotel at Schiphol airport. And I was talking to the bar 
bartender that night. There's three people in the bar. I mean, I've never seen a bar in Amsterdam with three people. It's unheard of and on a Friday night. And um, he's like, yeah, our country is shutting down tomorrow. It's really good you're leaving. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So yeah, I got on a plane that was like, not even full on a Saturday, like the first Saturday of spring break, right? It was just, it was quite eerie. And then, um, you know, then there was all this sort of social media buzz about Canada shutting its airports down. So I was in a feeling a little panic, like, where am I going to land? I have no idea where this plane is going to land. Am I going to get to Vancouver? Of course, all that was fine. But yeah, so it was, um, it was really strange. I, I mean, I definitely, I've never fled Europe. We usually we flock to Europe, <laughs> but I've never fled Europe before. And that was a very sort of unsettling feeling. And then coming home and then just watching everything just sort of, you know, it just felt like this wave across Europe watching this happen and and I was still in touch with students for uh, supporting them over the next couple of weeks some of the some of them got stuck some of them just didn't know what to do where to go so I was emailing with them and checking in with them constantly over the following few weeks and um and they were sharing their stories with me and it was yeah it was it was really quite something that's crazy yeah, that's like a that's like a bad James Bond movie where you're just trying to get out and everything's just shutting down right behind you, right? I know, I know. It just it wow. does. It start it start to feel a, like some dystopian novel, right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to be in this novel. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, exactly. I want to read it, but I don't want to be in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get me out of here. Yeah, Melissa, yeah. where were you? I was I was at home. I wasn't abroad. I I was at home and I I felt like the week before everything shut down that I don't know if I'm comfortable like continuing to teach in the classroom. Like can I just can I just go online? Can I make that decision for myself? So I had sort of started planning a few days before everything shut down. So when they're like, "Nope, everything's closed. You're you're online now." I felt like I had a few days sort of leeway just because of my own anxiety. Um, so I, it was, it was interesting because I managed to get everything up online in a very short amount of time, like 24, 48 hours. I boom, pounded out a plan, flipped everything online and here we go. Um, but it was a lot of, I found myself having to reassure students a lot more that you know, it's okay. This is what we're going to do. Let me know if you have questions. There are opportunities to revise assignments. If things go off the rails, you, you know, it's okay. Um, a lot more. I like to think that I'm a reassuring person, but there was a lot more, like a lot of heightened anxiety. Um, as someone myself who has challenges with anxiety, um, like trying not to take on other people's anxiety um, and sort of manage my own feelings and not getting overwhelmed with that. Um, but it was definitely a weird space to be in. And I'd say that it wasn't until probably the end of the semester that I myself as the instructor felt like I could take a deep breath. I can't imagine what students must have been feeling taking multiple different courses with different instructors who have different degrees of, um, you know, emailing students and how they're using Moodle and what the expectations are and should we, well, now you're online. So, you know, let's give you 2000 hours of work to do and 50 more assignments <laughs> exactly. and, or yeah, it's, it was an interesting experience. 
I'm glad that Kwantlen has made the decision at this point to stay online for the fall yeah. so we don't have to have that mid-semester pivot. Yeah, yeah, you're here, you're here. So what have you, what have you all changed your mind on in the last couple months with regard to your teaching and learning journeys? Because it, yeah, I'm curious to know what, what you've changed your mind on. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, this was a, the pandemic obviously uh, caused me to reassess a lot of things. Um, but I think that the other thing that was really has caused me to reassess is the current protests going on about anti-black racism and, and police violence. And I think, you know, I've been spending the past couple of years really trying to um, be conscious about, say, what voices I bring into the classroom. So in my open textbook, I, um, you know, try to get grants, so to center Indigenous voices, to um, really try to decenter whiteness and stuff in that that text when I taught, you know, 3000, um, which is the advanced course, um, you know, really intentionally trying to hit, to bring in, you know, voices of uh, black people, indigenous people and uh, people of color. Um, and we had conversations about racism and stuff in the class because, um, you know, uh, last summer semester, my students studied, um, how KPU could better help international students. So racism came up a lot. Um, but I realized that I need to be a lot more, intentional that especially because I teach communications um it, it'd be more intentional about talking about racism and um you know talking about the role that communications uh plays and helping students to kind of unpack some of that um that stuff so you know my I think my perspective before of being like okay well I'm going to bring in all these voices and try to cite these different people and lift up different experts and you know make room for those conversations I think I realize I, I need to be a lot more intentional about being really specifically anti-racist and in the class and, um, you know, being, building that into sort of into, into everything, um, that I, that I do. So, um, kind of hoping that students will get, uh, you know, get the, uh, um, the, the message, or you know, just by reading different voices, will will sort of, uh, um, examine, you know, their own beliefs and stuff. I think I, like, I obviously, I, I feel like I, I needed to go, um, I needed to go further with that. So that's something that I, my, um, I was, I was glad for that, uh, um, for that wake up call. I think I've probably been able to use this time to really question how many assumptions I make. I continue to make about students, right. Mm -hmm. And really have that, that hard conversation with myself. Um, I don't think you ever arrive at a point where you really ever have that, that full clarity and knowledge. Um, I hear our colleague Shauna, Shauna ring, like she's like this voice in my head <laughs> in a really good way. And Shauna's our UDL expert at Quantlin. And Shauna has always done, I think, just such a great job of reminding us to not make assumptions about students in any capacity, right? Like, you know, that they want to be in your course, that they have access to technology, that they're interested in the subject matter, that they, you know, any assumption whatsoever. And I have found that this time for me has helped me to continue to go deeper in really examining the assumptions that I make um, and to also really extend so much trust and care to students and re-examine my role to support their learning goals as opposed to holding them accountable or holding them to my expectations. And I feel like this time 
has really helped kind of solidify all of these things that we look at, I think, as, you know, fairly, um, you know, progressive educators, we look at open and we look at UDL and we look at ungrading, but just to pull all this together, for me, this has been the place where it's all sort of come to fruition. And I've been able to see, you know, individual or students much more individually with their different set of goals and expectations, their different approaches, all of that, and really helped um, remove any, like the continued assumptions that I sometimes will have. And I'll just sometimes have them because they've just been there for so long, right? And that's, um, for me, that's been amazing. I mean, it's been, I, I love to be challenged that way. I think also I've just been able to spend outside of, you know, the physical environment, I've been able to spend deliberate time with the people I want to be with, right? So I spend time with Arlie and I spend time with Melissa and I spend time with the colleagues who have a really high bar, right? We have conversations that really push and advance the work that we're doing. And I love that I feel so much more intentional in who I spend time with and who's going to influence and challenge me to be a better educator, as opposed to sometimes feeling like being amongst people in conversations that create some doubt in the back of my brain or make me, you know, hide or not, you know, openly share my desire to go ungrading, you know, things that I don't feel comfortable openly sharing yet because we're not really always in, you know, amongst people who are going to receive that well. So I feel like this time has enabled me to just have deliberate conversations and challenge, continue to challenge myself and raise that bar. Awesome. Can I say ditto? <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> ditto to what Andrea said, ditto to what Charlie right just said. Yeah, I think you just did. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I just, I just said ditto. Um, it really, I think, I've realized I still have so much more to learn myself and uh, to be more transparent about what I need to learn and when I need to learn it and what I'm doing to, to learn. Um, I think that's, I'm a work <laughs> in progress <laughs> and just being more transparent about that for sure. Are, are you guys, sorry, are, are, are you being, are you being, vulnerable with your students in this too or is this very personal for i mean personal you're on a podcast talking about it so i guess it's not going to be that too personal but are you sharing some of this with your students and if so like i know arlie this must be very progressive and your and your students are engaging in this this uh this topic that you're bringing into your classroom um how are your students responding to this and and are, are you being transparent with some of the deeper stuff that you guys are going through in 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 what you're doing yeah, I mean, so in a couple of ways is, I mean, I am someone who has uh, pedagogies of vulnerability has always been quite um, an important part of my practice, both because, um, uh, you know, on my identity as a disabled person that I think I try to be quite explicit about my, you know, my relationship to disability, for example, because I think that it's important to have that, that visibility. Um, but I also... Um, so I have been, um, both intentionally with, you know, saying to students, you know what, sorry, I'm having a hard time concentrating this week or, um, you know, being really quite vulnerable with, with the fact that this is, 
what's going on in the background. So they're seeing in videos, you know, my daughter and stuff, um, kind of uh, wandering into the frame. And I think that, uh, you know, in there, uh, there, I made like a welcome video and stuff and you can just see this little hand come up and try to grab the microphone and stuff. Um, and I think that they've responded really positively to that. The other thing was that I, um, when we went online in the, in the spring, um, I decided to allow my students to create, uh, we were supposed to be doing this project where we were working, creating a gallery display for the library. So that couldn't happen. So I told students, um, you know, uh, you can, we can do this alternate assignment or you can create an archive of your life during coronavirus for future historians. And so I started blogging along with them. And so that was, I think quite cathartic for me. And I think, you know, for, for them as well, but they got a chance to see into, into my, my life and stuff because I was, I was blogging along with them. And I actually, um, a couple of weeks ago got sick and had to be tested for COVID. And I, this was after the, the spring semester was over and I had been blogging and stuff about it. And I didn't think that uh, this was before we keep you has WordPress um, but they didn't have, you didn't have access to any analytics. So I was sort of assuming I was just kind of shouting into the void and I got all of these emails back from students be, like that I taught last semester being like, are you okay? I read that you got, you know, tested for, uh, for COVID. So I think it was a really, um, sort of nice, uh, moment of, of, um, kind of sharing with students and students, uh, sharing with me, but I have also kind of been quite explicit about, you know, with, especially discussing racism and stuff in, in, in classes, you know, discussing, um, my own learning. Um, and then also, uh, you know, saying to students, this was not the plan for this week, but I think that it's important that we go down this path um, for, for these reasons. And I think the cool thing about um, teaching is that you also get to learn so much from students. So I have several students who are involved in activism and who are um, making activism a part of this, this course. And, um, you know, we teach a lot, most of the students that we teach at Kwantlen are racialized. So I think it's, um, you know, uh, um, I found that that vulnerability that, uh, you know, I'm ending up learning from, from students, um, as, uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I think that, that especially in this moment that students have felt, I asked students last week, um, I do this activity called question of the day where every, just to get them to do kind of, um, uh, writing on a regular basis, just to practice their writing skills in a low stakes manner. I put up questions every day of that are not related to the course just to get them writing. And, um, last week I, I said, what was, what's the one thing that you want teachers to know about this pivot to online? And, um, you know, a lot of things that they, that they said was that they feel nervous when they don't have, they don't know who the teacher is behind the, you know, behind the screen that, that, um, feeling that that teacher is human is I think a really important, um, a really important piece. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's been definitely, um, that I also recognize that I have the privilege of sharing, you know, that I'm someone who, um, I don't have to worry about my identity being weaponized against me. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely found that being vulnerable has, uh, both I think help students and then also help me. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Ditto. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've definitely, um, I mean, for me, having a close connection to students is really important. I can't do this job if I don't have that connection with them. But um, I mean, I have to, I have to be vulnerable and it's just, it's just who I am anyway. So 
Um, you know, we have, we have some really good laughs online together and, um, I can sort of share my, you know, frustrations, concerns, everything like that. My, I mean, my little one, I have an eight year old. She'll often just make a casual appearance usually behind me and, um, or she likes to show some artwork that she's done and get the oohs and ahs of the class <laughs> when that happens. But um, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is such a, a perfect time to sort of invite students a little bit more into our lives. And I think for me, if I was a student, I would, I also would benefit from that sort of closeness and connectivity with my instructor. So I think of it on that level. And even I look at my kids, my kids do so much better when they have a connection with their teachers, yeah. as opposed to somebody just doing their job. Um, my fourth year class, I mean, it's just, it's a different world in fourth year. Students are in such a different place and they're, I mean, they're just a hoot. I have so much fun with them. They, they love to make weekly notes, like to-do lists, and they always have some, some really hilarious to-do for, for me. Like they'll pick up on something during a, um, some discussion and, you know, they'll, I can't, I, I can't remember what some of the to-dos have been. I've tweeted them out though, because they're always sort of like, you know, I told them if being a parent, you learn how to, you know, basically eat a burrito in 30 seconds. Like, you know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like you, you don't breathe when you eat and you just eat. Right. So, yeah. I, you know, cause they were worried cause I have back to back classes that they, I didn't have enough time to eat lunch. And I was like, Oh my gosh, don't worry about me. I can eat like 30 seconds. I can eat so much food quickly. It's one of my superpowers as a parent. So, <laughs> so they'll make like a to-do list to challenge me to see how fast I can eat food. <laughs> right? Oh like this man. Yeah. Really funny stuff. Like they'll, they quite enjoy um, teasing me a little bit. We'll, um, we'll share pictures of like our, our pets, like who, you know, who are we in isolation with? So we'll share pictures of like pets and plants. And then we have another thread going of books that we're all reading. So we've got like a, almost a book club. So, you know, we've really, um, yeah, we've really been able to like create some relationship, which I think is probably a challenge for a lot of instructors and educators. And it's rightly so a concern in this environment. But I actually think that there's you can still really do that and have lovely, meaningful connections with students. And um, it just makes it so enjoyable. I mean, I just enjoy it so much because of that, really. It's, you know, you have to be more intentional about creating those relationships and creating that community and sharing, sharing your self as like this three, four dimensional person, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that are challenging for you, you know, um, I think it really makes space for students to be able to open up and do the same if they want, because, you know, in the classroom, I don't go into the classroom and I'm not this two dimensional. I don't fold person. I don't fold away into a cupboard at the end of the class. My students don't fold away into a drawer either. We are, we're, you know, we're humans. We have, we have challenges. We have, we want to feel that connection with people. Learning online can be really, really lonely and really, really isolating. And I think, you know, I have six weeks experience teaching online thanks to the pivot and like trying, I, I wonder what I've learned since then. Like I probably would have really sucked at being an online instructor beforehand if I hadn't had that face-to-face -face connection with the students beforehand. And I'm really realizing um, thanks to the professional development 
development I'm doing on my non-teaching semester, that it's really important to be intentional and to plan for that those moments of building community and how you're going to interact with people and what you're going to share and to really be intentional and strategic and, you know, genuine and authentic in doing that. I literally built in, uh, um, you know, my uh, online plan. I built it every week, care and connection and tried to put in like one thing that I was going to do uh, to show care and connection, just to, to remind myself that, yeah, I absolutely agree with what Melissa says is that you have, yeah, you have to just really, um, yeah, it's, it's something that you can't, uh, you can't assume that, you know, in, in the classroom, you just have a million little tiny throwaway encounters and you, you know, you don't have that, you know, joking around before class starts or just you know, students hanging around to, to chat. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, I found that being intentional was one of the best things I did when I planned. Uh. That seems to be a big theme. I've been, as you know, I've been taking notes as we've been together here and the, the intentionality of, of just the everyday stuff that we would do in the class has been percolating to the surface, right? And couched in, in community and connection and awareness and uh, the idea of vulnerability. But at, at the center of all that, for me, walking away from this is this intentionality of the little things that I would do in face-to-face classrooms that I just took for granted and now have to think about how, how, how would I engineer that in, in this new environment and engineer might be a, a cold term to use, but, um, that's make space for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, I mean, down to the last question. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. This has been fantastic. Um, what impact or influence do y'all want to have in this new landscape that we have now? I mean, I think for me, I want to spend a lot of time both challenging structures. Like I think that both the pandemic and the protests that are going on um, have just cast a light on things that, you know, I think we knew to be true anecdotally, but just seeing it so viscerally, like, um, you know, inequalities within um, our, our student population and, and a lot of these you know, barriers have, have been, been exposed. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the hard part about in this job is that I feel like that my passion is teaching and I love being in the classroom. But, you know, when you think about how do we change these structures, how do you make room, how do you make space, how do you call out, um, you know, when people, you see other people causing harm, I think the tension is, you know, where do you put that effort? Do you put that effort into your classroom or do you put that effort into being on committees and, um, you know, running, trying to, at a, at a higher level, make that, make that change. Um, and so that's something that I really want to think about how, um, how am I using, how am I using the privilege that I have within the university as somebody who's regularized and someone who's privileged in a lot of other ways? Um, how am I, what, what is the best way to spend that capital? And, you know, how can I use that in a way that is going to, um, create that, that systemic change. Cause I think there are a lot of educators who are being forced to think for the first time, Oh, wow. Some of my students don't have devices at home or, Oh, some of my students, um, you know, are caring for, for people or for elderly people or caring for kids. Like that's always happened. That's always been the case. It's just that now it's, it's easier to see. So with a lot of instructors seeing this, how, what are we going to do about that? Cause I don't want a situation that happens where a vaccine happens and then it's okay. It's back to normal. You know, like I think, what, what are we going to do with that momentum? 
Yeah, I I mean, I would have to say that um, I I really see this time as an opportunity to really look at our power structures within the institution and look at where the dominance falls and who gets who gets harmed and who benefits from these power structures. Mm-hmm. And the influence I hope to have is really advocating more for student agency and student rights and empower i mean i hate the word empowering but you know really i I mean i have students who don't really know how to navigate these power structures very well and um and now they i think more than ever they're seeing a lot of injustice around um abuse of power on behalf possibly you know of educators who are overloading students with work um they're not making any pedagogical adjustments to online teaching, a completely different format. And I think students are awakening to this (laughs) more so than people who have made a profession out of it. So I do hope that I'm able to um, really help center the student experience and that learning journey as, you know, a priority that we're here to support um, and not treat this as, you know, an opportunity for us to continue to, to, you know, dominate over that experience that students have. So, I mean, that's always been a concern, but I do feel like we're seeing a lot of cracks in the system. Um, just from even just this different perspective, it's kind of pulled back the curtain on a few of these. Uh, you know, Arlie and I um, teach open pedagogy workshop every few months, and it gives us an opportunity, I hope, to maybe influence other educators and look at different ways to approach assessments, um, assignments, you know, designing around course outcomes, learning outcomes, and finding ways to really prioritize student learning and giving more flexibility and more voice to students in terms of demonstrating how they're learning and mastering things. So, um, yeah, these are all things that I feel like I'm, I'm really ready to dig my heels into to advocate for a lot more than I have and I'm moving into different spaces. I've been on faculty council for almost five years now. So now I'm looking at moving sort of this advocacy into other parts of the institution, but um, almost ready to double down on it, to be honest. Like, I think it's just, it's really time that we um, allow students to get the most out of this experience and they should be demanding that and we should be held accountable for that. I'm hoping that sort of the impact that I can have is questioning assumptions. So questioning assumptions of students in terms of, you know, Arlie and I teach business communications and business writing. Why do you feel that way about your writing? Like, where do you think that came from? What, who, who influenced you? Arlie has a great assignment um, that she shared with me in that regard. So, but really pushing for that throughout the course. Why do you, what are, what are you assuming? What are, why are you feeling that way about this? Um, and at a faculty level, um, you know, why do you feel you have to do this assignment? Why do you feel that you have to do this and having those conversations um, and making space for uncomfortable conversations and making it known that I'm okay having those uncomfortable conversations. It's not my responsibility to um, necessarily make those feelings of discomfort go away. That's powerful. Oh. 
What can I say? You guys are awesome. Uh, okay. Um, so uh, thank you so much for spending the time and uh, chatting with, with me and the listeners today. Um, ton of stuff in here. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful to have spent this time with you. So thanks so much for, for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us.